Hello, hello, and welcome to Not So Secular, the place where we talk about how the world we live in is not as secular as we often think. We just choose to see it that way. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a youth missionary here in the Philippines, and I will be your host here today. In this episode, I'd like to read to you a story of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, and I'd like to have a little conversation about politics. And yes, I get it, I understand, some of you have had enough of this topic already, while some of you can't seem to get enough of it, and it's obvious with what you post on social media. Anyway, I think it's important for us to understand these things further, to have fruitful discussions about things that matter to us, both as individuals and as a collective, as citizens of the same country. And as Jesus followers, maybe, well, I I am a Jesus follower and you might be someone who's listening to this. You might be someone who would consider yourself a Catholic, a Christian. It's important for us to understand how we might view these things through the lens of our faith and how that might come into contrast with how the world views the same things. Because yes, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We share a lot of the same struggle. Sometimes we share even the same goals, but we don't always share the same values. We should not always share the same worldviews. And so it's important for us to reevaluate how we're viewing these things and how we're letting them affect us. I hope that this will be a fruitful conversation. And uh, yeah, let's talk about it. All that and more coming right up. My experience of using Facebook has changed over the years. Before, it was more personal. It was a lot like its predecessors, like MySpace or Friendster. It was a bit like that until Instagram came along, which kind of changed things a bit. And now, I find myself using Facebook mostly for work purposes. Can you relate? Is this something that you experience also? When I go to Facebook, I often go there for work, for my Facebook groups, for my Facebook page. Not always to upload some sort of album about the latest thing I did. I mostly do my personal updates on Instagram now, if I do it at all. And my experience, again, my experience of Facebook has changed. It has been mostly about work or it has been about memes. And I figured what better way to start this off than to start with a meme. But this is not an average meme. This is not the dankest of memes. This is actually one of those memes that come from movie scenes. You know, when people would post about a certain scene or a certain dialogue in the movie. So they would screenshot that part along with the subtitles or along with a a written version, a typed version of the dialogue because it was one of those moments within the movie that is either relatable or it it is able to communicate something that a lot of people might consider valuable, might consider important. And this meme that I'd like to share with you is something that was shared from the Facebook page of Netflix PH itself. It comes from the movie Enola Holmes. And upon mention of that title, you might already have an idea as to what I'm referring to. This is a scene that depicts Edith talking to Sherlock himself. So in the movie, Sherlock starts looking for his lost sister, Enola, and he runs across Edith in her tea shop. 
So Edith is someone who also has encountered Enola, and Sherlock tries to press her for for information as to where his sister is. And Edith is someone who is part of the women's suffrage movement during that time, at least here in the story. And she is depicted as someone who who equips women both physically and intellectually, shall we say. And so there's a part in that movie where it is hinted, or at least Sherlock hints, that he knows about this and that he could, he, he was using that as a leverage for him to extract information out of her. And Edith, aware of this, or becoming aware of this at least, talks back to Sherlock. And they come into this discussion about politics. They're, they're, they come into this discussion about how Sherlock's perspective is so is so focused on the details that he is unable to see what is happening around him. And there is this one exchange that has become popular and has been shared here in this meme and by a lot of people afterward. It goes like this. So Edith, speaking to Sherlock, says, Politics doesn't interest you. Why? Because you have no interest in changing a world that suits you so well. As of the time that I am recording this, this Facebook post has been shared 39,000 times. This exact Facebook post. Because we know that you know, when you're in Facebook and you're sharing memes, it's not limited to just the post of one page. This post has been shared by other people also. This has been shared in other Facebook pages, maybe even by Netflix itself, or by other independent pages that post memes and post political stuff and post movie stuff. It's it's easy for ideas like this to spread. And so just this with, with this one specific post that I'm referring to by Netflix PH, it has been shared 39,000 times and it has been reacted to by 69,000 people. It seems like so many resonate with this. It seems like so many connect with this and maybe even agree with it. Now, here's the thing. I agree to a certain extent. Okay, I agree that we should care about certain matters that affect a lot of people. I agree that we should care about how society functions, how the government works. I agree that we should care about something that might be might have more consequences, say, for certain people who have less privilege. Not saying that having more privilege is bad, but that's a topic for another conversation. But here's the thing. It's important for us to care about what's happening around us and what Part of what is happening around us is politics. But here's the thing. I don't fully, fully agree with this post. I don't fully, fully agree with this line of dialogue from this one movie. Because it comes with a certain presupposition. And, this, and the presumption, the presupposition is this. That the way to change the world is through politics. It doesn't say that outright, but the way it tries to say it is that if you don't care about politics, then you don't care about changing the world at all. But that's just not true, is it? You can be uninvolved in a certain area of how the country works, of how society works, but that doesn't mean that you have no interest in changing how things go. I think what has happened is we have put politics in this, in this too high of a pedestal that there's something about it that we see. We, we, we develop this savior mentality that if only we were to put the right person in place, then things would be way better for everyone. That we would accomplish something. The country will change for the better. And maybe that's true. There could be some truth into that. I'm not saying that these things are completely wrong, but we need to, we need to assess what's happening in our hearts as we look at these things because 
Yes, politics is important. Yes, the government is important. But it's not everything. It's not everything. And I am worried about what's happening, especially when we see people posting about how, about how their political stances affect their friendships. And they say that, of course, your political stance matters because it reflects your values. And that matters. And yes, feel free to unfriend me. Feel free to unfollow me. Feel free to disconnect with me if you don't agree with the things that I'm posting. Now, that can sound very noble. And yes, it is important for us to take a stand for certain things that we believe in if we believe that it is right. Completely. I agree with that. But the thing, again, is that if you're willing to lose these friends because of your political stances, then maybe you're not such good friends to begin with. And I think it's important for us to reassess. Again, to reassess these things. What is happening in our hearts? Why are we being so combative about this? What is happening? And yes, some people would say that this, because it involves life and death, because it involves it involves the lives of us regular people. And yes, I do agree that it's important for us to do that. But, 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 man, is this really the right way? Is this really the way of Jesus? And speaking of Jesus, I want to read to you a story which I mentioned before. And this is a story coming from Matthew chapter 22. This is a story about the Jewish leaders asking Jesus a question to trap him to saying something wrong. So basically, they were trying to get Jesus canceled. And this is how it goes. I want to read it to you. This is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. It says, Then the Pharisees went away to work out between them how to trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him together with the Herodians to say, Master, we know that you are an honest man and teach the way of God in an honest way, and that you are not afraid of anyone because the man's rank means nothing to you. Tell us your opinion then. Is it permissible to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus was aware of their malice and replied, You hypocrites, why do you set this trap for me? Let me see the money you pay the tax with. They handed him a denarius. Then he said, Whose head is this? Whose name? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Very well, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. This reply took them by surprise, and they left him alone and went away. Familiar story for some of us, maybe. And from the outset, it might not look like it, but this is actually a very political question that was raised by the Pharisees to Jesus. It starts off with a little bit of flattery, right? They met together to plot how to trap Jesus, okay? And then, so their minds were already made up about him. They were not trying to ask a question to find out something good or to find out something new that would be useful for their lives to understand who this guy is no they already had their minds made up and they were just trying to get him to say something wrong it was just trying to they were just trying to discredit him basically and so what happens is that they start with a little bit of flattery we know that you are unaffected by these things by the opinions of people but if they really believe that why would they try to why would they try to flatter him anyway um so that's what that's what happens right they, they approach jesus to ask him a question to trap him and they ask about paying taxes to Caesar. Now, Caesar is what they call the emperor of Rome. Kind of like the pharaoh is the emperor of Egypt. So Caesar is the emperor of Rome. Um, during that time, 
during that time, in ancient times, most rulers were regarded in a, in a very different way compared to how we regard our leaders today. They did not have presidents. They did not have senators. They did not have people who were elected into a certain seat or a certain power or certain influence. More often than not, what they had is a form of aristocracy. They had a certain group of people who had the power, who would rule. And so the kings during that time, they were not in service of the people. They were not supposed to be in service of the people. That's not how it was viewed. Instead, they were viewed as living embodiments of their gods, most of them at least. They were made to be images of God here on earth. That's why the pharaoh is regarded as someone who is like a deity. The same goes for the Babylonian king and the same goes for the Roman king. The Romans were connected to divinity. That's part of where they drew their power. They were connected to the gods. And so because of that, there was a certain pseudo-worship that was happening also when it comes to the emperor. Not just not just submission to say who's the president is, not just submission to what is the law of the land. There is a divine aspect to what is happening here. And so paying the taxes is part considered partly a way of acknowledging the rule of who's in charge, of who the king is. Acknowledging the rule of who is in the seat of the emperor, who is, again, considered to be connected to God, considered to be an image, an image of God here on earth. On top of this, there was no such thing as religious freedom back then. You weren't allowed to choose which Will you worship? Okay, what religion do you belong to? They did not have the that concept back then. What will I be? Will I be part of Iglesia Ni Cristo? Will I be a born again Christian? They didn't have those categories. Okay, because during that time, a nation represents is is part of what the nation represents is their gods. So the Babylonians had their gods, the Egyptians had their gods, the Greeks had their gods, the Romans had their gods, and that's why we study, when we study history, world history, we see that different nations had different deities. And when one nation would conquer another nation, when they would take over another nation, part of what the defeated nation would take upon themselves are the gods of the winning nation. But there was something about Israel that set Israel apart because in the eyes of Israel, the eyes of God's people, well, there is no other God than the Lord himself, than Yahweh himself. And so even when we are conquered by the other nations, we worship Yahweh alone. And so part of what the Pharisees, the religious leaders were asking Jesus is, do you acknowledge this authority, the authority of Caesar, the authority of the Roman emperor, or do you acknowledge the authority of the Lord and the Lord alone? Because they were supposed to worship the Lord alone. This is a very important part of their history. If you were to look back in their history, their, the prophets would speak of this, about how they should come back to God and worship Him alone. Idolatry was one of the biggest sins, biggest problems that Israel struggled with. In fact, they struggled with it right after Moses received the first commandments because when Moses went down, they were worshiping the golden calf. If you were to look back to Exodus and Every time Israel would fall into idolatry, something bad happens. They face the consequences of their actions. And this was part of the reason why they were taken over by a foreign power in the first place. Yes, the Romans were a foreign power occupying their land during this time. Kind of 
imagine this um, in the perspective of our time, our history in the Philippines, when we were taken over by the Spaniards or when we were taken over by the Japanese or the Americans. It was kind of like that. But that was what was what was happening with them. Part of the effects of their idolatry as they as they worshipped other idols and other rulers and other sources of power, well, eventually, they were taken over by them. And so this question of whether you should pay taxes to Caesar or not is also a question of allegiances. Where does your allegiance truly lie? Do you acknowledge the Roman ruler Caesar? Or do you worship the Lord alone? If it's not obvious yet, there is no right answer to this question. Because no matter what Jesus, how Jesus might respond, they will have something to say about him. If Jesus says, yes, we should pay the taxes, and we, yes, we should acknowledge Caesar as a ruler, then the Jewish leaders would say, well, you're not a faithful Jew. You're not doing what is right. You should not acknowledge these foreign rulers who call themselves gods because we have one God. However, if Jesus were to say, no, don't pay your taxes, we only acknowledge the Lord, then they could report him as a dissenter. And during that time, dissenters and revolutionaries were captured and killed by the Romans. If not killed, he would be imprisoned for causing something or teaching something against the, the law of the land, going against the authority of Rome. You weren't free to speak your mind during this time because might makes right. But of course, the way Jesus replies to them is genius. It's ingenious. He's, he asks them for a coin, right? Asks them for a coin and he asks, Whose image is on this coin? Image. That language of image. Whose image is written on this coin or is inscripted on this coin? And they say, Caesar's. Fine. Then give to Caesar what is due to him. But give the Lord's what is due to him. And what is due to the Lord? Well, if the Roman coin has the image of Caesar, what, what in the Bible has the image of God. What in the Bible has the image of the Lord? Right. When you go back to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, it is said that human beings, you and I, male and female, were created in the image of God. So yes, this coin, it has Caesar's image. Give it to him. But what bears God's image? What we owe God are not just coins. What we owe God are our very lives. Man, that was something else. Yes, go ahead. You know, go ahead. Acknowledge Caesar. Um, not as God, but, but as the ruler of the land currently. And yes, fulfill your duties to him. Fulfill your duties to your country, to your land, to the foreign occupation. But your duties to the Lord are much higher. Your duties to the Lord are much greater. And your allegiance to the Lord should be to him alone, even when you are working for another human being. And in fact, it is shown how God can work even through their enemies who were unwilling or didn't even imagine themselves working for the Lord. God is just all that powerful, just all that almighty. Why am I sharing this with you? Because the thing is, when it comes to matters such as these, I think Two of the biggest temptations that we experience, that we encounter, are temptations toward first, indifference, and second, idolatry. 
Indifference. Let's begin with that first. Indifference is when you don't care. You stop caring about things that don't affect you. And some people call this out by calling people privileged. Although, again, I don't like that term because it's not inherently bad to be privileged. In fact, you can use your privilege for a lot of good. What is bad is indifference. What is bad is if you refuse to care. What is bad is if you desensitize yourself on the things that, and the people that don't seem to matter to you because it doesn't affect you personally. Indifference is the first temptation. It, it can be so easy for us to distance ourselves into things that are becoming so crazy and uh, things that are becoming too emotional, too dramatic, and maybe even just annoying sometimes to just close our doors off of people, of topics, of politics even. And I think it is, I think that's not helpful. It's not helpful to be indifferent in any way or form. Because we are made to be with one another. Sabi nga nung kanda, di ba? Walang sinaman ang nabubuhay para sa sarili lamang. And if we were to go back to the scripture we were referencing to earlier in Genesis, to be made in the image of God, what does that mean? When God made human beings, He created them in His image and He gave them a command to rule over creation. He w- they were placed in a garden to partner with God. And this is something that we've been talking about in a podcast in, in our previous episodes. In fact, in our very first episode, when God does something, He does it through people. The invitation for us is to partner with God because God chooses to work with us. He doesn't need us to work with Him, but He chooses to work with us. And when God does something in this world, he does it through people. He sends people. When he wanted to, he wanted to call back the nations, he sent Abraham. When he wanted to rescue his people from slavery, he sent Moses. When he wanted to reunite his people into one kingdom, he called David. And that is what God does. He calls people. We have a responsibility to be image-bearing children of God. And in fact, that is one of the ways that the, the, the Jewish perspective was different from the perspective of the ancient people, all the other ancient people during that time, because for them, the image bearers of God were not just the kings. For them, the image bearers of God were humanity, were people. Everyone, every single person as an individual is an image-bearing child of God. And humanity as a whole bears God's image by the way that they live. And that is why the early Christians also had the courage to go against the rulers when they had to. Not because just they wanted to, but when they had to, they could do that. And they had they had the fortitude to do that in a way that was different from how the world would commonly oppose those that they disagreed with. If you were to go back to history, in the early church, the early Christians, that was what they were known for. The, the, the Roman rulers didn't know what to do with them. Because they were helping people. They were actually helping make society better. Okay? They, they, would, they were the ones. Kapag ka, when there was a plague happening in one city, everyone would be running away. But the Christians, some Christians, would choose to run toward it. Why? Because they wanted to help the sick. They were the ones who were helping and trying to tend after those that no one wanted to help. That no one wanted to take care of that were just abandoned. And speaking of abandonment, there was a practice during that time when fathers had the liberty to take their newborn children and leave them to die in the forest if they didn't want them. They did not have abortions during this time yet. But man, this was just equally as disgusting. 
But what the Christians would do, some Christians would rescue some of these kids, would rescue some of these infants and raise them as their own because they had compassion, because they believed that every single person had dignity, every single person were born in the image and likeness of God, made in the image and likeness of God, and they were worth loving, they were worth taking care of. And so as a whole, they were making culture better, they were making society better. But the one thing they did not do was give their allegiance to Caesar. And so the Romans did not do what to, did not know what to do with them, because they were making things better, but man, they wouldn't obey. <laughs> they wouldn't obey with all of this idolatry that was happening. So the, the early Christians were not at all indifferent. They were involved. And in fact, that was a huge part of how they grew. That was a huge part of how we have Christianity as how we know it today. Because they were unstoppable. And we are, we are made to be the same. We should not stop caring. We should care. And so this is important for us. We should be involved. We, we play a, a very important part in this. This is the beauty that I find when working with young people. I, I always mention that I am a youth missionary, right? But being a youth missionary, I think, is a very particular calling. It's a very particular way of serving the Lord. When I'm trying to minister to the college students and the high school students that I meet, I don't all want them to become youth missionaries when they graduate. Because I think this is a specific thing that people are asked to do or called to do. But what I would prefer instead is that they come to know the Lord. They come to know the Lord in their youth. And that as they grow and as they take their place in society, as they take their place in the industry, that they would become faithful followers of Jesus where they are. Whether that, they, that may be in business or in show business or maybe even in politics or in medicine or in law. If we had more people who had integrity, who had wisdom, who were oriented by their faith toward the right things, then society would indeed change because we are made to be image bearers of God and in our way, in what we do, in what we say, in how we act, in how we live our lives, we, in a way, we, we show, we reveal more of who God is to this broken world. And that's part of our calling. That's something that we're all called to do. Now, the specifics of how we are to execute that, of how we are to do that, well, that's something we have to bring up with the Lord. So that's the first temptation, indifference. But the second temptation is louder than the first. The second temptation is idolatry. The temptation of idolatry is to take what was meant to be good and to treat it as something that is ultimate. To put it in a place, in a role that it was never meant to fulfill. That is idolatry. Anything that rules over you that's your idol. Anything that takes the place of the Lord in your heart, that is an idol. Anything, even if it's a good thing, uh, even if it's a good thing, sometimes we think of sin as just enticement to run after bad things, run after evil things, terrible things. You know, to, to, do, to do what is sinful is to be a terrible, terrible person. And so that is why, that is part of why it is difficult for us to imagine ourselves as sinful people. But the thing is, if you have idols in your life, and I think we all do to a certain extent, we just learn how to wrestle with them and we just learn to run back to the Lord and re be reconciled with Him. But when we have idols in our lives, they often show themselves as things that are meant to be good. For example, money. 
Money is not evil. Money is not bad. Money can be used for so much good. Money can be used for charities. Money can be money can be used for building hospitals, building schools, building organizations that will help people. Money is a very powerful tool, but that is what it is. It's a tool. But if you let money take the place of God in your life, if you let money rule over you instead of you ruling over your money, then things take a turn for the worse. And the thing about money if, is, is if you have money as your idol, then whether you have it or not, it's going to rule over your life. It's going to consume you. The same goes for sex. Sex is not a bad thing. The church, the Catholic church, sees sex as a very good thing. And that's why it wants to protect the sacredness of sex within the marital vows. Because sex is such a good thing. But if sex becomes your idol, then whether you're trying to live a, a prudish life or a promiscuous life, whether you have it or not, it's going to rule over you. And it's going to turn you into something else. Jesus is always pointing us toward what takes his place, what should not be taking his place in our lives. God is not against us having possessions. He is against possessions having us. God is not against us having ideas. He is against ideas having us. How do you know if an idea has you? Well, take a look at what you're doing and what you're saying. Is it taking over you? Is it, quote-unquote, possessing you in a certain way? Is it turning you into someone that you don't want to be? Is it turning you into someone that you, you normally are not? Because maybe when you're put into the limelight, when you're put into the heat of the moment, you want to act a certain way or you want to be perceived in a certain way. And so you say certain things. But man, it, it's, it's really... It's difficult to describe what's happening, especially what we're seeing online with these people posting about, okay, so let's go back to that one thing about the friendship and their political stances. Some would even say, would even use the, their, their political stances as a stand-in for morality. That, that's what they say, that um, your politics define, it, it reflects your morals. And so if your politics is not the same as my politics, then you're not, being, you're not worthy to be called my friend. And it can be so, we can come at such an arrogant position to think that we have the right politics, that's one, and to think that we have the right morals. And to come with that presupposition and to assume that we are higher than other people, it can turn us into very arrogant people. And I know that because I can be arrogant with these things as well. I know that it's a tendency for me also. But let us not be foolish enough to think that if only we were to put the right person into a certain position, then everything would be better. The world will change. The country will change and we will start living in utopia. That's just not true. It doesn't matter who's in possession. If the hearts of the people remain unchanged, then it doesn't matter who you put in there. The country will not change. The world will not change. And I think we've busied ourselves too much with this idea of the collective that we forgot about the individual we forgot to talk to each other as individuals. We start with labeling them. Labeling them as homophobes. Labeling them as activists. Labeling them as apologists. Labeling them as pro-this, anti-that. And that's the thing. When, when, you've, when you start looking at people as labels, then it, it's easier to treat them not as humans. Convictions are very important. Ideals are very important. I have those too. As... <laughs> As a Christian, as a Catholic, as me, I have those two. 
But every so often, I have to remind myself also that when I speak to people, I'm not just speaking to someone who has, who is a representative of a certain form of ideology. No, I am speaking to a human being. I am speaking to a human person and I should treat him or her as such. Not as someone that I should give my speaking points to or give my facts to. <laughs> no, they're human beings. And yes, there are places for crucial conversations. Yes, we have to be direct sometimes. Yes, we have to be upfront sometimes. I'm not saying, okay, don't get me wrong here. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm not trying to say that what you're doing here is bad. What you're doing here is good. Do more of this. Do less of this. A lot of the details of what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to say and how you're supposed to act, these are the things that you have to square with the Lord. These are the things that you have to discern for yourself. Who to vote, how to post online, these are the things that you have to lift up in prayer. Okay, I'm not here to tell you how to act, what to say. I'm just giving my perspective as a brother. <laughs> that it might be helpful for us to reevaluate where we draw our values, how we act out our principles, and where our allegiance truly lies because yes we are in this world like i said but we are not of this world we should not be indifferent we should be involved we are here jesus was incarnated when he was resurrected he was resurrected in bodily form he is a god in the flesh our faith is in the flesh it should be expressed it's there's some there's a beauty to it that it's not just it's not just something spiritual that's disconnected from this world. It's something that is embodied. Love is embodied. Grace is embodied. Forgiveness is embodied. Virtue, morality is embodied. Our faith pushes us to live it out, not just to meditate on it and to separate ourselves from the world. We're not Buddhists. No offense to Buddhists, but you know what I mean. We're not meant to be disconnected fully. Some people are called to that, but most people, man, we live here. Our relationship with Jesus is something that's meant to be lived out. We have to reassess. Are we trying to do what's good on the world's terms? Or are we trying to do what's good on God's terms? Because those two don't always align. And there are things that the world will say is good that is not good. And there are things that the world will say is bad that is not bad. The world's definition of good and bad is not always the same as God's definition of good and bad. And we must be open to discerning these things well, listening to our mother, the church, and listening to our conscience, our formed conscience. As we know God, the more we know God, the more we know what is good, the more we can live it out, the more we can act it out. And I only look forward to the time when the hearts of the people are changed enough on the individual level that we are able to reach enough people and lead them to Christ that... The world will change as a whole. The country will change as a whole. Because when people are changed, society are made up of individual people. Let's not forget that. And that as we love people individually and work toward our collective goals, then hopefully the right change will happen. The right transformation will happen as our hearts are transformed. So will our culture be. So will our society be. This is a reminder. This is as much of a reminder for you as it is for myself. And so when we dialogue with each other, 
when we speak to each other, when we post online, let's be more mindful. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. And let's continue to allow ourselves to be formed and transformed as we follow the Lord. That is it for today. Thank you everyone for listening all the way through. I hope this has been good for you (laughs) and uh, this has been um, helpful. Let me know if it is. Please do share about this on your socials. My socials are down on the description so that you could we could connect with each other. And what I'm going to do also is I'm going to post a link on the description of a video made by Bible Project called Way of the Exile that is a very helpful biblical way of viewing the the kind of context that we are in right now. I think that's very important as an added, added input to our episode here today. What I have done as well is I have created a Facebook group for us. It's called Not So Secular Discussions and Questions. And so I'm going to put the link down below as well. Please do join that if you're interested in being part of this community, this Facebook group, and let's connect there. I want to ask your insights also so that I could get to hear what you have to say, what do you think, and maybe some suggestions that you might have for future episodes, some questions that you might have that you might want me to talk about more on this podcast. I want to make this a dynamic thing going forward. Let's work together. And I hope again, as always, that this has been fruitful for you. And that's it for today. Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you too. See you next week. Bye.